God, we love you so much. We thank you for this morning. Lord, we thank you for a chance to have a place to gather, to come together. Lord, to see uh, a larger expression of this local church, to know that we gather in a lot of other ways throughout the week through some, through some smaller groups as well as just kind of in these, these times of sharing life. But we thank you for this time, Lord, that we would come together, be unified under, Lord, your truth, be unified under the, the specific vision and mission you've given us to love uh, the world, starting right here uh, with our next-door neighbors and our, our own homes, all the way to the ends of the earth, to every nation. God, I just give you this morning, and Lord, I just pray that right now you would take over, that the Holy Spirit would move, would take these words and bring life to them. Or not just in, in my ability to speak them, but in the way that they affect our hearts and our minds. Lord, I know that my, my forming of these words really has very, very little part to do with what you do in this place. And so right now, I just want to offer myself as a vessel, Lord, asking that you would do this work first in me, and then, Lord, in each of us. And so, Lord, we thank you for you giving of yourself in Christ, that we could know hope and redemption, and love. We thank you of giving yourself and your word, Lord, that we could commune with you. So let us come expectantly now. Lord, whatever our journey has been to this moment, whatever our belief is in this moment, right now, Lord, you come in and penetrate and take over and let your work be complete for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, hey, Sanj pointed out this morning, or maybe Dave, I don't know, but this is, we're, today's a big day. We are wrapping up in our two-year history, wrapping up our first full study of an Old Testament book. So very, very fun. Just a fun day. Who knows? Maybe, maybe that's a mark of maturity. I don't know. Maybe not. Um, but, we're, but today we're finishing up Jonah. And just to make sure we're good, we're going to do a next, our next series will be another Old Testament book. We're going to do another minor prophet, Habakkuk. So another four weeks through, through another minor prophet, so something to be excited about. But we're finishing up Jonah this week, and, and man, it, I don't know about you guys, I, I don't, I mean, I, Jonah's one of those things you grew, if you grew up around the church at all, you, you knew something about Jonah. At the very least, there was a guy that was eaten by, as we knew it then, a well on our felt board, you know. Probably not a well, but who knows? I mean, maybe a Goliath grouper. I don't know. But it was just a large fish. It wasn't a Goliath grouper either. Um, but that's about, that's, we, we've all had some exposure. And, and if you were like me, you probably came into Jonah, if you thought about it at all, with low expectations. And, uh, and I, I, I remember talking to someone that's in this room right now. And, uh, and I said, we're about to kick off Jonah. And he said, and I said, we're going to teach on Jonah for four weeks. And he said, well, what are you going to talk about for four weeks in Jonah? <laughs> I was like, we'll see. <laughs> so it's been great. You know who you were. Um, I'm looking down the middle of the room, so nobody knows who I'm talking about. Um, but it's been great, and I love that. I, I had the same question. But so just a quick, like a quick review to kind of get us up to speed. So far, looking through Jonah, we, again, let me just reiterate one more time. Like we have seen such clear pictures of the acts and the impacts of sin and grace just over and over again. We saw that God called Jonah, who was a prophet of his own, to go and proclaim a message of repentance to an enemy nation, an enemy nation of God and an enemy nation to the people of Israel, therefore an enemy nation to Jonah himself. 
we saw that Jonah, in a very racist manner, said no. He, was, he, he said no, and we, and we know because of the text we, came to, we come to today why he said no. He said, I don't want those, enemy, the, those people who are outside of us having a chance to see you be good to them, to see your mercy. So in a very racist way, he says no, sh- just putting on high display his, his self-righteousness, and he fled from the presence of God. He fled from the will of God in the total opposite direction. Nineveh was this way, and Jonah went as far as he knew how to go that way across the Mediterranean. At least that was his plan as he set off to Tarshish from Joppa. And we saw, we saw just again, to, just to highlight that self-righteousness, that was Jonah's greatest sin in that moment, his self-righteousness or his self-rightness, him asserting that his way was far greater than God's. And we saw ourselves in that, that so often the root of all of our sin, and maybe not just so often, how about just always, the root of all of our sin is our own self-righteousness or our own self-rightness. Going all the way back to Adam and Eve, seeing it once again that our way is better than God's way. So Jonah just, just made that really clear, and we saw the effects of it. And God, in his mercy, we see this theme over and over again through Jonah, that in his mercy, he chased him down. And, his, and, and this wasn't like a fun game of chase, right? I mean, it was like chased him down in a way that it was terrifying, where he caused a storm to come onto the ship, and, and Jonah was hiding out down on the bottom just trying to escape sleeping, and the, the pagan sailors were like, what's going on? And they ended up casting him over to his death expectedly. And so again, this is God's kindness that caused this to happen. It said God caused the tumultuous storm to come up, and then they threw Jonah over in response so that the storm would be appeased, so that God would be appeased, Sailors worship, Jonah's expecting to die, he's seeking down to the depths, not just literally, but also figuratively into the despair. He was like, just kill me. And he goes down, and once again, in God's mercy, which this, again, he got eaten by a fish, like crazy. He got eaten by a fish, again, that's God's kindness. He got eaten by a fish, because that fish was the way in which God saved him, but it's also the way in which God incubated uh, Jonah's conviction. He sat in that. He sat in the fish in the damp, dark of that fish for three days and contemplated his life, contemplated the place he had come to in his rebellion. Could not get any lower. And in that place, it says three days and three nights passed, and then Jonah prayed, and he prayed this amazing prayer of of, of confession, and it ended with this with this commitment to worship. This this repentant moment of, of Jonah saying, I'm yours, I will give to you what I've committed, with no promise that he was going to get out of the well. He didn't, he just, that for all he knew, that was it, and he was just going to worship God in the well until he died and whatever. But then the well spits him out, it kind of goes from this death to life moment through this, what we looked at last week in this resurrection of, of Jonah. I don't, I, every time I say Jonah, I want to say Moses, so it just might happen, but just know I mean Jonah every time. But but we see this moment of Jonah going from what seemed like death to now life as this new person, this new man of, of this new commitment to give to God what is his. And we talked about last week how in, in the resurrection, the, what follows resurrection is mission. We see that in the, in the work of Christ as he was resurrected, the work of God was then carried out and passed on to the church for you and me. And our resurrection, our salvation from death to life is actually when we are called to mission in this life. So we saw that last week. We have to die to self and seeing new life in Christ, and that new life is not one just of eternal hope, but of present purpose. And so then as Jonah, this time, as the word of God came to him a second time and told him to go to Nineveh again, Jonah responded in obedience, and he went to Nineveh, and he proclaimed this really short message through the streets of Nineveh. 
And he saw this amazing response of repentance and revival through all of Nineveh, from the people on the street to the king on the throne. And so we talked about the first week as we, set, as we set off into this journey through Jonah that we saw two narratives in play that asked the question, what happens to Nineveh and what happens to Jonah? Last week we answered what happens to Nineveh. This week we get to what happens to Jonah. And so, or at least we'll say sort of. If you've read this chapter, it's like, oh, so unsatisfying. But we'll get to that too. So that brings us to our text today, the last chapter of Jonah. So go ahead, if you haven't already, open your Bibles to Jonah 4, click on your apps. Uh, it'll also be on the screens. We use a, a version Bible app as well, live events, so you can go to the More tab, click Events, and you'll find a little helpful guide in there that has the text and some other questions for you. If you don't have a Bible, feel free to grab one underneath the chair for you, and that's our gift to you if you need a Bible. We'd love for you to take that. So, and if you don't know where Jonah is, I would just go ahead and recommend using Table of Contents because it's really small, and you'll, you'll flip past it a hundred times before you actually find it. So, just use your Table of Contents. So, without any further ado, let's get to our text. We're going to read it in full, just because it's a narrative, and I think you need the whole picture, and then we're going to work back through it quickly, okay? So, here we go. The people of Nineveh, people of Nineveh have just repented. God has relented from the wrath that they were due, what just happened. So now, here we go. Jonah 4.1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country back at the beginning? That's why I made, that's why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. He's saying it's better for me to die than to see these people pardoned. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and he set to the east of the city and made a booth for himself, which is basically this makeshift little shelter. He sat under it in the shade, remember, they're in the desert, till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die again, and said, it is better for me to die than to live, O Jonah. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And he's just pitching a fit. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. So just in case I don't mention it later, people are like, well, what's up, what's up with the cattle? It's just painting the picture of the complete need that is there, just to be clear. So, in case I don't mention it later, that could be a hanging chad that you all wonder about and forget the entire message. So, it's just uh, this, this literary way of just communicating the extent of the need in Nineveh. 
So I'm going to start by quoting Sinclair Ferguson, which I did last week as well, and his, his commentary has just been so helpful for me, and I feel like he's just kind of become a teacher. So I'm, I'm going to quote a pretty long quote. I think it'll be on your screens, just kind of illuminating some of what's going on here, and then we'll launch in. So he says, I've met men who would give their right arms to see what Jonah, what Jonah saw in Nineveh for whom the privilege of being an instrument of awakening in the hands of God would be sweeter than life itself. From any viewpoint, it was a time of unusual grace. The circumstances that brought Jonah to the city, the storm, the fish, the second calling, the unction that attended his preaching, which we would say that because his words didn't lead to the result. It was the empowering of God in his words that led to this great response of repentance and revival. The penitent faith of the citizens, all these are indications of the day of mercy that dawned in Nineveh. It was a story to which our Lord Jesus Christ could point back and say, The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. It's in Matthew 12, 41. It was in fact a kind kind of foretaste of the day of Pentecost when once again God would grant repentance that leads to life to the people of the Gentile world. And again, just to be clear, the Gentile world is anyone who wasn't a, a people of Israel. There are many Christians today who long for a time when God's servants need go only a day's journey until there is a large response to the word of God. Could you imagine that? Wouldn't it be worth it? How many would sacrifice everything to have seen those revival days in Nineveh? What will we do if a day of national repentance were declared in our own land, or if the leaders of the nation clothed themselves in garments of repentance and began to cry out to God? But now we discover that the final chapter of Jonah is perhaps the most puzzling and mysterious of all. It almost seems like the prototype of our modern dramas in which instead of everything turning out right in the end, Things seem to fall apart and we're left feeling disturbed and uneasy. I thought that was helpful. Sets us up in the right direction. So let's walk through of all this. Let's walk through this all and and we're going to see what's going on with Jonah and what this book is all about. Um, And to do that, let's look at Jonah's response once again. Uh, Verses 1 through 3, it says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. We're, We're reading a lot to start with, right? It's good. Okay, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly. It displeased him exceedingly, and he was angry, and he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Man, what is going on with Jonah? How does this happen? I mean, if you haven't read through the rest of Jonah, I just gave you a, a quick recap. But if, you, if you've been here for any of it, if you've read through it, think, I mean, the time in the well had to be pretty transforming. And I would say Jonah experienced a true change of heart, of mind, of will in the well. He came out of the well. God's voice, God's truth, God's word came to him a second time. God came to him a second time. He said, go to Nineveh. And I will tell you what to say when you get there. And in blind obedience, this time it was blind because God didn't even tell him what he had to say. He just said, go. Jonah goes. I mean, that's, that's a changed man thinking about his time before. Even here in this response, I mean, even though Jonah is being petulant and angry, he prays. He at least prays this time. 
That's a difference. So we see, like, what is, what is happening here with Jonah that he would be this, I mean, displeased and exceedingly, exceedingly displeased and angry. How does that happen? I mean, didn't we see him change? I mean, Jonah, thinking about where he's at, he had once again claimed his position as, a, as, a, as an Israelite, as the people of Israel, as a privileged instead of one of responsibility. And he had forgotten God's ex- exceeding grace and mercy shown to him previously. He had forgotten that in the covenant, God said, I will be your God and you will be my people. I will bless you and through you the entire world will be blessed. Because you are blessed, you will be a blessing to the entire world somewhere along the way. I don't know if it was, again, we talked about last week, kind of that journey up to, up to Nineveh, the grand city that was, had towers 200 feet tall. You know, just thinking, he had to be thinking about, as he was walking up, all that Nineveh, the Assyrians, had done against the people of Israel, against God, against his people. But he kept, he kept going forward in obedience. He walked into the city, proclaimed it, and saw this turn. And you got to think there was still a part of him that hoped that they didn't, but they repented and there was revival. Somewhere in this process, Jonah began to, to fester once again on his anger that someone he considered an enemy of himself and an enemy of God would experience goodness. He would remember the atrocities they committed against his people. And once again, he would drift back into this place of self-righteousness and hatred and sin. Here's the truth for us today, and this is for all of us, but speaking specifically to those who are in Christ, those who have confessed Christ as Savior and Lord are walking with Him. Just because you have experienced the gospel of Jesus and are being transformed by His grace day by day, it doesn't mean that you will not continue to have to battle sin, especially that one that runs so deep. Obviously, for Jonah, it was this privileged self-righteousness. They do not deserve what I have been shown. And if you want to look for some irony, just look at Jonah. I mean, he's mad at the Assyrians for rebelling against God. And I don't know if you know, but the people of Israel at the time were horrible. The king that was in place at the time was the most evil king that had ever ruled the northern kingdom. And, And yet, he is taking this haughty high position against the Assyrians. And he himself did it over and over again. You know what I'm talking about. Those things you wrestle with. It's the cycle of victory and defeat. It's that thing that you've cried out to God over and over again. I want to be free. Free me from this. Why do I fail over and over again? Why do I suffer through this over and over again? And then you you pray and you seek and you surrender. And then you go through this, this season of victory, a day, a week, a month. And you think, maybe this is the time that it takes. This is the time that it lasts. Maybe that was the last time I had to make that confession. And then you slip into defeat again. You slip into that sin again. We all know that. And I'll tell you this. So we talked about, for the past couple of weeks, the importance of preaching the gospel to yourself. 
It has to happen daily. It has to happen before you ever preach the gospel to anyone else. That was the first thing in the well. Jonah had to preach the gospel, have it taught to him, and then preach it to himself before he could go and proclaim it to the people of Nineveh. We see this over and over again. And quickly, the reality is, is no matter what, we will always struggle. Let me just free you up there, okay? We are not going to be free from our flesh until the day of our death or the day of the return of Christ Jesus. On that day, there will be no more sickness, no more pain, no more sin, no more death. On that day, there will be the glorification of the body of Christ where we are made whole once again, restored to his full image as he created us. In this life, there will be struggle. So I'm not saying that if you, if you struggle with sin and you, and you fail sometimes, then there's some great indictment. Like that's just part of our reality. But at the same time, we can always fight well. And one of the things we have to know is we have to preach the gospel, the truth of Jesus and his word to ourselves daily. And at some point, Jonah stopped listening to the truth of God and started listening to his own voice and to the lies of the deceiver. And it allowed himself to come back to that place of privilege and sin. And we do the same thing. So not to overgeneralize it, but mostly it is because we live out our faith from program to program or from crisis to crisis instead of daily abiding in the relationship given in Christ. When I say program to program, I mean like the, 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 the participation in the things of faith, prayer and study and fellowship is limited to Sunday gatherings and small group and maybe some other organized program or crisis to crisis that the only time we turn to God is in that great time of need. And again, you see it here. When Jonah turned to God, even in his angry prayer, God welcomed him. So please keep praying in your crisis. <laughs> and even if you haven't prayed up to that moment, bring it to God. He welcomes you. But generally, it's because that's the way we approach our faith. In other words, we're pursuing religion over this gospel relationship we've been given in Christ. We've been pursuing just these, these modes and behaviors that give us these, these marks of looking like a Christian other than instead of this actually walking in this life-giving, transforming relationship, this one is, that is a promise of abiding. So we saw that. Jonah has forgotten the covenant promise of God for his own life and for the life of the world around him. So think about what it is to daily abide, to daily preach the gospel to ourselves. It's the work of daily abiding and daily surrendering. We see this in John 15, 5. It says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And Matthew 16, 24 says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So it's this invitation to relationally abide, knowing that there is no life outside of this relationship with Christ. And then also that our life has one purpose, and that is to live out the mission of Christ. Again, after resurrection comes the mission. The more you merely practice religion, which is man's attempts to reach God, the more you will be owned by your sin. 
the more you abide and walk in the gospel relationship that is given in Christ, which is God's work to reach down and save mankind, the more you will be free in a life being transformed by Jesus. Again, freedom doesn't mean that you will not stumble. Freedom does not mean that you will not get depressed. I, I, anxiety and depression is such a, a, a reality for our world today. And I have so many conversations with people that, that wrestle with it. And one of the things I love talking to them about is that you can be healthy and still actually face depression. You can be a whole person and struggle with anxiety. The reality is understanding the promise of God in Christ. That he says, bring all your cares before me. Do the work, allow me to do the work of transforming your mind in this daily relationship of, the, of the, the pouring out of your life and the me pouring in of my truth through, your Holy, through my Holy Spirit. And so, this abiding and walking, abiding and surrendering, this enjoying this relationship that progresses day by day, that's our promise, that's our invitation. Any healthy relationship requires more than just a couple of hours of investment a week, right? I mean, so again, just to keep it from being legalistic, think relationally. It makes sense. And, and again, if you just think of those meaningful relationships in your life, what you require and what you know is required of you, that's the way relationships work. And to think about the life-giving relationship in God alone through Christ there shouldn't be any greater motivation than that. So we have to go beyond Sunday's small groups program into this daily pursuit. Jonah had forgotten to speak that truth to himself and once again found himself wallowing in this sin and rebellion. So what was God's response to Jonah? We're going to quickly work through the rest of this text. So picking up in verse 4, it says, And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Once again here, God shows his grace and mercy that he once again calls Jonah back. Jonah continues <laughs> in his rebellion. Jonah went, and we continue here, Jonah went out of the city and set to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Here we see Jonah was angry and sulking, and he waited to see what would happen. Keep in mind, we're in the desert, it's hot, it's not good. Now the Lord got appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. He gets a little giddy, I think. You know, he's like exceedingly glad. I mean, when I think of exceedingly glad, I think about like a little dance, a little jig. And I think of like, I, don't, I mean, he was, I, he was exceedingly glad because of this plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so, it, so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. Once again, we see God's mercy in not leaving Jonah to himself, to his own desires. God's mercy is being shown in his chastisement of Jonah. It seems a little bizarre to us that God would give this awesome plant, probably a castor oil plant if you're, if you're curious, but that he would give this awesome plant and then, and then take it away as if he's kind of playing this game. That's not, all, that's not at all what's happening. What is God doing? He's wanting to bring Jonah to the place of understanding his place, that God is sovereign over all things and all of creation and all that is right, and also that God is only the only thing that satisfies and his will is right. 
and he causes the heat to intensify. And he, then Jonah says here, and as we continue, and he asked, Jonah asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And you see, like I said earlier, Jonah is now pitching a fit. But God once again in his patient mercy asked Jonah a question, trying to turn his heart back. Jonah doubles down like the idiot that he is in this moment. I think that's a good descriptor. And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. God is once again working to revive Jonah's heart to the life that is only found in him. Remember, again, resurrection leads to mission. After death comes life. Daily surrender is daily dying to self. Daily abiding and living out the life God has given you to live is the invitation, is not what Jonah is doing, but is what God is trying to awaken Jonah to and call him back. It's what he's calling us back to, first in our glorious relationship, and then secondly out of the living out of our unrelenting mission given to us in Christ. So we see God bringing Jonah and us to this point of decision. Reminding us, trying to awaken us once again, just as Jonah was, just as Jonah was awakened from his slumber in the bottom of the boat. How can you sleep when all this is happening? Jonah is once again, and we are once again being woken up. How can you slumber with all that is going on around you in the world? How can you, how can you be so removed, looking down upon that city? Last verses say this, And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. God stopped pulling the punches. He's been nice long enough. He's, he's asked questions, trying to steer Jonah, guide Jonah, let Jonah get there without the, the heavy weight of God's hand. God's like, all right, let's just be real. He's like, you, you are, are I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know the right words to use because I feel like I've never, but it's just, you, <laughs> they're really strong. And I feel like um, it's like, I know God would never say words you weren't supposed to say, but like the only words that come to mind. But it's just these really strong, like you are, you're, you're being a selfish, just, you fill in the blank, it would be, I don't have the right words, but it's just, it's, God's just calling them out. And I can't say it, I can't. Someone's saying, say it. Matt's like, say it, say it, Heath, say it. Um, there is grace, but anyway, <laughs> 